Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Sprites of Life. I'm Lucas. I'm Chris. And I'm Don. And today, we have someone else joining us. I would like to introduce all of you to my friend and paleontologist buddy, Will. Will, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for being here, man. I mean, we all, I love, you're one of my best friends. I thought I'd bring you along and meet some of my other best friends, you know, community and all that. And first interview for the podcast. That is an honor. I am, I am, uh, uh, I wasn't aware. And now I'm, now I'm feeling like I got to make a strong first impression for everyone else to have to follow. I, did I just, I put a lot of pressure on it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, today we kind of brought you here. Now I know paleontology that's that's we'll talk about that in a bit that's what you are and what you do but i didn't want to bring you in here just for that i, I had something special for you i need your help with happily so y'all uh, guys what are your thoughts on the paradox pokemon past supremacy <laughs> i i do think most of i so most of the past paradox ones are for sure better mainly because Torkoal is a real Pokemon, and Pinkurchin is not. <laughs> uh, Iron Bundle, Iron Bundle is busted though. It's basically, is it a dinosaur or is it a robot? Yep, yep, yep. yep. Everything like the, is the... Chrome in the future. Yeah, <laughs> I, is... SpongeBob taught us that. <laughs> oh god, no! I think it's even funnier when you think about like how, like a lot of the. Uh, iron bundle like all the iron they couldn't even come up with a better name for them it's just iron everything well and it, it brings up the question to me of like are you suggesting that like we make robots of them in the future or does like all life get digitized skynet style or something like is this the like a gray goo scenario happen and these are just the the bio or like mechanical organ like what happened in the future i think the uh the better question is why is the peak metal of the future iron? <laughs> right, right. Like, I feel like we, we've got we've gotten a few metals past iron at this point. What do the future people know that we don't? <laughs> it sounds cool. <laughs> like, they, I mean, they've, they've mastered marketing. Titani titanium Valiant doesn't sound as sick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, what could have possibly turned Deli Bird into a uh, evil robot Santa from Futurama? <laughs> What he wanted to be all along. <laughs> just he like, was I just so imagine, disrespected. Every time I see that iron bundle, I'm just like that first scene when you see robots head of, oh boy, it's Santa. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> if those of you who are listening have not watched Futurama, they have one of the best Christmas specials. Robot Santa hates everyone. Long story, don't want to spoil <laughs> it. But we're, we're getting off track. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Now, you are our guest, but as you know, we are both, both you and me, Will, we are born in the South. I think we're all born in the South, actually. Right? Wa so. Washington, oh. D.C. Yeah, close oh, okay. enough. All right. <laughs> right. So, do you have, like, usually when a guest comes over, they bring us nice things, and I asked you in advance if you could bring some science news to share with us. Yes, I have some news. I have news. Uh, this is news from last month, I believe, February, uh, that is about what seems to be currently the biggest penguin we've ever discovered oh i heard about this does it dance or does it surf yeah I, I i say it can do whatever it wants so that it doesn't hurt me <laughs> this is this is research uh, published in the journal of paleontology by daniel kisepka et al 
and it is about findings of nine new specimens. So your nine new fossil penguins from the Paleocene. So about 59 to 55 million years ago uh, of New Zealand on South Island. Now, when you say big penguin, how big is yes. an uh, emperor penguin is four feet tall. Exactly. So the penguins they found range. They have uh, a couple of new species here and then a couple of uh, known fossil species. One of the new species I'm going to try to pronounce this. That's what editing's for. Petri, yep. Petradi, trad, Petra, Petradiptus, Stonehouseye. I might have butchered that first name. Uh, this was uh, five of the specimens they found, and it was only slightly larger than today's emperor penguin. So if you picture an emperor penguin, like you said, about four pounds, about four feet tall, and about. Uh, 50, 50 to 100 pounds they range, you know, so 25 to 45 kilograms. It was a little bit bigger than that. The other specimens they had uh, was a couple of fossils from a known, uh, uh, also giant penguin. So, you know, another, because the, the emperor penguin today is considered a giant penguin. I mean, have you, have you actually, who here has seen an emperor penguin up close? I know I have. I'm not. I wouldn't say up close, but I have seen them in person. Uh, and yeah, yeah they're I mean, big. I haven't been that close when I've seen them. I I think my favorite article as I was finding this will is the biggest penguin ever existed was a quote monster bird. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's the other because they had they they had a couple of fossils from ones they haven't identified yet. But the last specimen is a, a new species for dice. For Dice, for Daikai, for Dai, Kumimanu, for Daisai or for Daikai. This penguin <laughs> is absolutely massive, probably the largest yet known. They got the size estimate by comparing wing bones from the fossils they had and modern birds and penguins, and got size estimates. So once again, emperor penguin, fifty to hundred pounds. Petrodiptes was uh, like 110 pounds, so just a little bit bigger than the emperor. Mm -hmm. Kumimanu was a range of 150 to 160 kilograms, so 330 to 352 pounds. The last, the previous record holder for largest penguin was another fossil species, which was 250. So it bumped it up by almost another 100 pounds. That's nuts. I don't want to meet that thing. It's added to the list of things. I'm glad have like I don't have to see. I don't want. Yeah, to like, this is a this is a penguin that generously outsizes your average adult person. I mean, like, it's bigger this than like a, NFL offensive lineman. Yeah, yeah. This is a truly giant penguin. They also noted that this these penguins are at the early evolutionary. A, a period of penguins. You know, this is shortly after the end of the Mesozoic, the extinction of the dinosaurs, which was 66 million years ago. So we're only 10 million years after that. So this is fairly early on in penguin evolution, which means they got to what seems to be likely the upper size limits of this group very early on in their history, which is interesting. That's not what we typically see, especially in like mammal groups. 
They tend to take a while to get to those large size. Penguins evidently got big really early on, and they were primitive, you know, quote unquote. They had a lot of features from their flighted ancestors, so they weren't quite as penguiny and quite as uh, ideal for swimming. Their flippers are a little less flipper-like than today's penguins. Did they have the um the weird teeth-like beak? I don't think we have uh, beak remains from this one, so we don't know. Mm. Okay. Uh, and we do have beak remains from other large penguins, because uh, large penguins is not an unusual thing. There's multiple groups of large penguins. Like, this evolved multiple times in penguins that they just got human-sized for some reason. And a few of them, I know, had ridiculously long, thin bills. Like, like the, the narwhals of the penguin world. It was very, very extreme compared to today's penguins. Uh, but this one, I don't think we have any skull material from. Because if there's one thing a giant penguin needs, it's a giant spike. Beak. Yes, a- absolutely. You know, because because why wouldn't you? Not <laughs> even Empoleon, the penguin Pokemon, <laughs> is bigger than the. This thing is bigger than the Pokemon. Yeah, some of the Pokemon are honestly way smaller than you think they'd be, though. Especially some of the earlier yeah. gens. I think Nido King is like four foot eleven. Because <laughs> they're size for ten year olds. <laughs> yeah, but like, come on. <laughs> I, I feel the same way. Napoleon's five seven. That's a pretty good height. Mm-hmm. Wait, who's like four? Gengar. One of them is really short. Charizard's short. Charizard's Charizard. Five foot yeah. Nothing. Charizard is five foot. Yep. Nothing. I was sad when I realized that. As much as I love Charizard, I I could like put my elbow on its head. <laughs> I'm just imagining Ash just. Ash's Charizard is like some kind of horrifying giant in comparison. Like, I, like, I sort of, <laughs> in my like, sort of my own like little headcanon, I guess I consider it like that's the uh, that's like the minimum size, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Or like that's like right when they right maybe when they first evolve, and that's how, and then they grow more. <laughs> He's like that's wildly inconsistent with like every other piece of media we see. Even the newer games have them at like varying sizes. Some are like teeny, and some are huge. Or we found out that that Pokedex entry was just made by someone who lived on an island with particularly small Charizards. Yeah. That would do it. Well, thank you for the penguin-related nightmares. I'm sure the Coca-Cola company <laughs> will not be using that as their mascot in the future. <laughs> just stealing the the sodas, the Coca-Colas the from... Wait, is, the it, is it both now? I thought it they was used polar to bears. Have, at one advertisement, they had, like, penguins and polar bears interacting, and then all the biologists got upset. Yep, yep. <laughs> It's not even close. So they just. Can I ask Will about uh, a story I saw? Mm-hmm. Do you know about this marsupial saber tooth? Yes, yes, uh, Thylacosmilus. What's what's that deal? I it was, I saw it popping up in the news. Is it a new thing or is it like what's what was the why was it popping up recently? So Thylacosmilus is its close cousin of marsupials. It's not it, its group is called the Sporacidontids, um, and so it's mm-hmm. not in true marsupials, but it's a South American predator uh fossil predator and it, it's well known we've we've been studying this animal for for years and years now and it is just very unusual it has saber teeth like saber tooth cats like smilodon but they're shaped different they also seem to be open rooted so the roots go up into the skull and seem like they were ever growing like the tusks of an elephant and we're not sure how they were using those tusks just because they're so weird 
And because of those tusks, they have a very, or because of those uh, teeth, they have a very unusually shaped skull. This new study was looking at the placement of their eyes because famously, predatory animals have forward-facing eyes that give them binocular vision, makes it good for them targeting their prey. And herbivorous animals, plant eaters, have eyes to the side, which gives them a wider view to look out for danger, but not good, you know, uh, targeting view, not good 3D view. Thylacosmilus' uh, eyes, because of its weird-shaped head, are on the side of its head like a horse or cow, but they've moved up and outward to still look forward to give it binocular vision because it has to look around the roots of those giant canines. And so was this like the first time that like they had like a better view of how its eyes work? This is just the first time they had done detailed study to figure out what its field of view had, would be. They, they CT scanned a number of uh, uh, well-preserved skulls. And so it's just no one had... Hmm done the study to to figure out exactly where their eyes are pointed and so we hadn't realized how truly bizarre they were uh until now so weird marsupial got weird yes exactly uh still seems predatory but we still don't know what it's doing with those weird teeth so we did have some gaming news pop up uh did anyone here watch the breath of the wild 2 like trailer thing that dropped today oh 10 minutes of gameplay it's real nice. What? No, I didn't know about that. I haven't had a chance to you see it see yet. It? All right, so we got... Don, you're going to so love it. If you haven't... I mean, by the time this comes out, more people have a chance to see it. They basically showed off a lot of gameplay, and they showed off some of the new tools that uh, Link's going to have to use to survive. And some of these tools... Uh, if you've ever just gone down the YouTube rabbit hole of people doing stupid stuff in Breath of the Wild... They've given these people some pretty terrifying tools. <laughs> Free reign, some like, might say. One of them is an item that is basically like you get the Sheikah Slate style thing, whatever, but it allows you to reverse time for an object. So like in those sky islands, a rock will fall down from the islands. You go up to the rock, you hit, you basically hit a button and it rewinds it back up to where it fell from. Oh, cool. That's a cool concept. So if a boulder is coming down a hill... You can stop the boulder and head it going right back up. You're, I think you're burying the lead okay. here, Lucas. <laughs> yeah, I'm burying the... The fusion ability is terrifying. The idea is that you can take almost any two objects and stick them together to create weapons. What? In the, in the, in the demo, they show Link awesome. fighting a... He fights a construct with a stick, and it takes a while. And then they show Link take the stick, and he walks over to a boulder, clicks fuse, and then the boulder's on the end of the stick. And then he just goes and, like, one-shots the construct. Just bunga and bunga, in that order. Just wham! Oh, that's lovely. It gets even better. Like, it's funnier because, like, what if you want to attack from range? And then, like, he takes a stick and attaches it to a pitchfork, and it becomes a really long pitchfork to poke things with. <laughs> Or he puts like a, they put like a keys eye on the end of an arrow and make it like a homing arrow. There's some really cool, but then like, then they show him like building fan boats. Yeah, you can just, there's like, another tool that lets you just stick stuff together with glue. And so you can just make your own boats or make your own cars, whatever you really want. It's, oh, it's, wow. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. It is absolutely insane what they're going to let you do. I mean, they have one that lets you just go through any roof as well. That one just seems like, so if you're in a cave and there's a cliff above it, it just lets you shoot through the cave into the void between the dimensions and just pop up through the roof. It's wild. <laughs> That's just to appease everyone who complained about having to climb too much in Breath of the Wild. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Honestly, it's the fusion thing that's really drawn people's eyes because one of the things he showed was like, hey, this shield, and it looks dumb. Like, it purposely looks dumb because it look it doesn't like, it's not like a JRPG where, like, it magically fuses and intertwines it. When they show you a shield fused with a mushroom, it's a shield with a mushroom that looks like it was super glued to the front of it. I like it. But... <laughs> But, but then they hit it, and it shoots out. It's basically a smoke bomb shield. Oh. So people are getting... Based, one of the, it's how they're addressing the complaints of, man, I only have weak weapons, and I keep breaking them. They're like, fine, you little whiners. Here, make your own weapons. <laughs> you think it's so easy? You think it's so easy? Fine. Yeah. Here, here's a stick and a rock. Make a hammer. Ha <laughs> ha Later. I'm out of here. I'm not dealing with you people. It's it's like the kids' version of Dead Rising. Oh, <laughs> that's actually what I thought about. He said the making the weapons thing. That game was great. I'm just imagining someone yeah. just sticks rocks on rocks and like they eventually just build a mech out of like rocks, sticks, and glue. Don's gonna make a Zoid. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh my god, no! It's gonna be a great game. We. I was able to talk to a friend or two who might be able to help us out. So, Will, you're going to have to do a strong showing because we might have to bring another guy in to talk about him. Nice. But let's kind of get on to, like, what you're here for. Now, we've kind of, like, jumped a little ahead in our little scripty doohickey, but I kind of want to, like, just get our listeners to get to know you. Why are you you? I'm sure many therapists have asked, <laughs> but <laughs> what? Uh, why paleontology? Why? Why? get into this because i've known you for years you're a smart dude why bones and dead stuff uh i've i've always been fascinated by animal like ever since i was a kid and i became yeah you know, as many paleontologists did became fascinated with dinosaurs and i just i i liked the concept that there were these amazing creatures that used to live here uh and the the kind of detective work that had to go into figuring out how they lived and what they were and what they were doing. Uh, so I, I've it, the whole concept just fascinates me. Uh, I said I wanted to be a paleontologist when I was about five years old when I read the word in a book and said, all right, there it is. That's what I'm going to do. And then I had to explain to adults from there on out that would ask me what I want to do when I grew up, what a paleontologist was. Um and so it's it's always been one of my main interests. Uh, nowadays, I am not researching or digging. I am educating about paleontology because I found out that as much as I love fossils, I am not so much big on academia and research. That's uh, extremely rewarding once you finish a paper. Getting there is a lot of work. I can only imagine. No, again, I took the education route on the like, just nope, I don't want to be in a classroom. So I, I get where you're coming from. But hey, now you got like one of the top paleo podcasts in the world. So like, there you go. Yes, uh, I am one half of the hosts of the Common Descent podcast, where we talk about various Earth history and paleontology related topics requested by our listeners uh, and release episodes every fortnight on things ranging from fossil groups like dinosaurs and, and extinct mammals to the moon and sleep and how those things have shaped evolution on the planet. With paleontology, how does paleontology help us in the now? I mean, it's cool to know things, but people usually want a reason to know things. Like, you know, it's like yes. science for science's sake doesn't pay the bills. 
Yes, precisely. Uh, and that definitely is something that has to be uh, addressed with paleontology because it is very close to just science for science sake. But uh, it is a way to give us perspective of uh, about life on the planet. Uh, as David, my co-host, David Moscato, likes to say, it is really the only way to give us a view into what life has been doing on the planet before we started recording our history and our observations. Uh, otherwise, you know, fossils are really the only way you can get a glimpse into what life used to be like, which is important for predicting what life might do in different scenarios and into the future. Because we can observe what's happening in environments today, but when a question comes up of like, okay, but what if, you know, the ice caps suddenly, you know, uh, uh, aren't there or increase you know what if things get suddenly way colder what will happen we can't observe that because that's not an experiment we can actually run but it's already been run in the history of earth we can look back at times when we didn't have ice caps when we had much larger ice caps and see what happened to life which organisms did well which ones didn't what changes did we see what patterns did we see and now we can say okay well in a world where things are changing like today what changes might we expect? And it can help us prepare. And so that's that's really one of the biggest things it does for us is it gives us hindsight, you know, the ability to use hindsight on the planet and the life on the planet to hopefully make predictions for what's happening or what might happen. Uh, well, I was going to ask a, a follow-up that might tie into with, uh, first of all, I love the explanation that you gave, Will. Uh, I'm curious to for your perspective, how would everything you just said, what would happen if you had the opposite, if you had the future look? So you had the past look and the future look. How would that change the scientific approach to how we interpret that data? Yeah, if we if we like got a record of like a similar record, but going forward in time. Yeah, so basically like the paradox mons. So mm -hmm. you have great tusk and iron tusk and it's like how did we get there? Yes. Kind of thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um I think it would be very similar processes of we'd have to be looking at comparisons between the the future fossil and what we have today and then also what we have in the past to see all right, what similarities? This seems like it's probably this type of organism based on the traits it has because you know, who knows which direction things might go. We might find that, you know, bats become dominant flying organisms and are now the size of albatrosses. And we'd have to look through the features and go, okay, this seems batty, even though it's very, very weird. Uh, so we'd probably have to be doing the same detective work we do with fossils. I think then what we would be trying, what we would try to derived from that is a prediction just like we use in the past of okay this animal has adaptations for a desert that means this area that it is in now used to be a desert so what changes in the planet's you know a uh, uh, climate would have caused those shifts or what would that interpret for this landmass we'd be doing the same thing but in the future so it would give us inclinations potentially of like all right well it seems like the current global climate changes are going to continue based on this or oh evidently they reverse at some point because 
this you know thing was found in Nevada, but things are much. It seemed like it's adapted for much colder weather. So evidently, things reverse at some point, or you know what have you. Uh, so I, I, we would be doing that. I think then you'd have to be dealing with the as the names of the Pokemon suggest the paradox of does our knowledge of that affect those fossils? Uh, and are we shifting? Would we find a new fossil now? Uh, because we've now adjusted our knowledge of that time period and our behaviors that would potentially navigate things there. And then you just get the scientist from Galar who's just making their own fossils. Yep, yep, yep. So just in, in general, obviously you love fossils, paleontology. What are your thoughts of fossil Pokemon? And are you sad that we didn't get true true to form fossil pokemon in scarlet and violet uh yes i i actually love the vast majority of fossil pokemon really the galar ones are the only ones that one are one of my favorite groups though honestly yes they're fa- they're fantastic the galar ones are the only ones that are sour notes for me not only because you mishmash them in silly ways but a lot of the things you mishmash would have been really cool fossil pokemons like we almost got a dunkleosteus <laughs> armored fish pokemon and we almost got like a stegosaur, po- like oh man, Plesiosaur. that would have been cool. Yeah, so like those are disappointing. Everything else, Pokemon does a surprisingly good job of adapting the features of those fossil organisms into the, the you know the the cartoonified aspects of a Pokemon, and they do a surprisingly good job of picking diverse groups you know in many ways they you know a lot of them are dinosaurs which is to be expected but there's a lot of fairly obscure at least in the the public eye like marine organisms and and like anomala cars gen 3 really impressed yeah. me honestly like you get a whole bunch of things that the, yes, crinoids. the crinoids that's such a iconic fossil if you're researching the fossil record but most people don't talk about it because it's it's not a dinosaur and so the fact that they went with that was very cool. So I, I generally, uh, generally really like the fossil Pokemon. And uh, I, I have been waiting for us to get a new, a new batch since Galar to, to redeem that, that uh, hodgepodge. Don, what are, your, uh, what are your thoughts on them? From You do more of the competitive stuff. What are your thoughts on the fossils? Um, right now, none of them are legal. Um, <laughs> at the time... <laughs> So uh, that's not really re- like relevant, and I'm like they're just not in Scarlet and Violet yet. Um, Dracovish was really good very early on because like Vicious Strange Strong Jaw was good, but it was kind of one dimensional. Honestly, I thought um, uh, what was it? Draco Zolt, right? Was the electric one? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought that one was um by far more frustrating when used well. Um, Dynamax with Hustle is just dumb. The damage is crazy. Its coverage is crazy. It's bulkier than you think it is. The other two I forget exist. <laughs> Arctivish and Drake of no. Arctizol, Drakezol, and Arctizol, or Drake Yeah, they were. Yeah, no. were weird. something in there. I still feel that that woman deserved to be put in jail. Yes, we need we need the sister researcher Kara Full to come in a future generation and fix them. I really hope we get the correct versions. Yes! I was hoping that that would be, like, the follow-up plot of that game, of, like, uh, whichever one you make, you get to event- you get to fix it and pick one of the 
one of the halves to be like an, an extra fossil Pokemon or something. The fact like, that, that they would literally have been really cool. They named her Kara Liss. Come on. Yep. Exactly. Yep. I do have to say, Cradilly is one of my favorite fossil Pokemon. Yeah. That's several like very good like runs in competitive too. It's got a very like useful niche. Storm Drain's a heck of an ability. It's just <laughs> Yeah. It's just so cool. So on the note of the Pokemon, I, I kinda wanted to um view some of the Paradox Pokemon, compare them to their modern counterparts. Now I, I will let you all know who are listening. I did not put in Fluttermane. And I did not put in, um, oh, what's the Magneton one's name? Anti-Shocks. Anti-Shocks, yeah, I didn't put those in, because one's a weird prehistoric magnet, and the other one's a dead caveman, but... We don't know how <laughs> magnets work. <laughs> Let alone how they evolve. <laughs> so I kind of whittled it down to the ones that are based mostly on... Oh, and I didn't use Screamtail, because I'm prejudiced against Jigglypuff, but that's fine, they can't stop me. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. All it grew was a mohawk and teeth and red eyes. It's like, oh yeah, here are my stats up a thousand percent. <laughs> yeah. You can't stop. So it. I think it's best just to start with the one that's the most recognizable, and that is with Great Tusks, who just became really, really angry as a mammoth. Great Tusk also just won the Charlotte Regional. Oh, interesting. I mean, I heard a, I heard rumor that that was the one that was one of the guys on the team. Wasn't there that guy with like a Chansey with minimize? Or that a muck with minimize. Oh yeah, that um, that was not on um, that was not in the finals. But yeah, that was a very interesting team with that, and also like a Vivillion hmm. and a Mimikyu with Copycat. It was a very cool team, honestly. Nice. Oh, and an Orthworm was there. Oh, an Orthworm. I think. Nice. Yep. I I like the big worm. I'm not smart enough to use it. So with great tusks, I mean, it's a mammoth. Great responsibility. <laughs> that was your best joke to date don i appreciate I it <laughs> all right i'll take it <laughs> mammoth great tusk yes i so i i i honestly i think most of the paradox pokemon look awesome like just from a coolness factor uh and great tusk looks fantastic the interesting things to me about uh, it, and this is a trend across most of them, is you mentioned it being angry, that a lot of them, they, they went with this vibe that the prehistoric counterpart is more feral and, and ferocious, and that's a very common old mentality about fossil groups that, you know, terrible lizards, you know, di you know that these things of the past were barbaric, and it was just them tearing each other's throats out all the time and that shows in a lot of these uh like the fact that great tusk is also just covered in spikes and just you know looks like it, it, it's not meant to ever be hugged if I, if I were to train this pokemon like i would make it my friend and i would hang laundry off its tusks just to show my dominance <laughs> uh i do like the tusks those curly tusks that is a a woolly mammoth uh, reference uh you know they there were fossil elephants that had super curled tusks like that um and that's very fitting uh the, it, those were also though pretty particular to just woolly mammoth like we we put those tusks on everything but most fossil elephants just had normal tusks uh so they just looked like elephants and it's, is there an advantage to the curled tusks? We think it might be for them to sweep snow. Uh, 
potentially. Uh, we see a similar thing on the front of elk horns that let them brush snow off of grass, and the woolly mammoth was hairy. It was woolly because it lived in very, very cold climates, you know, famously during the Ice Age, and uh, Ice Ages. And so it was adapted to that. Most fossil elephants weren't hairy. Most of them didn't have those curled tusks. So we think that it was probably an adaptation to that frigid, often snowy environment. I mean, I like how it has the fluff on its feet as if like to avoid getting its legs too cold from the snow. It's like a leg warmer. Yes. It's, it's an elephant built with yep, leg yep. warmers. And so, yeah, you know, it is it is intriguing. It's, you know, not furry anywhere else. Uh, so it's unclear where this animal would be living. Uh, but, it, you know, curled tusks are not unheard of in other groups. So it could be using those for something other than sweeping snow. Uh, you know, they could just be battering them like uh, a ram horns or something. I will say my, my my least favorite thing about all the Paradox Pokemons is that because they are newly discovered, all of their entries are garbage. <laughs> now, on one hand, it makes sense that the Pokedex would be like, uh, uh, data not found, make something up. Oh, my God. Like, if you read some of these, it's like, the sighting of this Pokemon has occurred in recent years. The name Great Tusk was taken from a creature listed from a certain book. And the other ones, the ones in uh, Scarlet, are like, this creature resembles a mysterious Pokemon that, according to... Violet. Oh, was yeah, Violet. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm dumb. According to the one to Violet... This creature resembles a mysterious Pokemon that occurred in a paranormal, according to a paranormal magazine, has lived since ancient times. So, like, Scarlet talked about, like, oh, this book was cited, well, we got this name from somewhere, and Violet's like, yeah, this trashy magazine called a great text, so that's what we're going to call it. Well, and that's, that's the super weird part to me, is that, like, it treats it like a cryptid, but, like, we would have... Fossils exist in the Pokemon world. We just had a whole conversation about fossil Pokemon. Like, we dig up fossils... Even if these aren't as old as dinosaurs, we still have fought like we find fossils of woolly mammoths and those were around with people like we so we would have fossils of these Pokemon. They wouldn't be some like, my goodness, it, we would be like, oh, you're obviously a cousin of Don fan because, you know, look at you. It, it's weird that they treat them like this, like mysterious, unknowable things when it's like, no, no, but. We all know, we all understand the history of our planet. We would not be surprised by a, a ancestral or more likely a, a cousin group. You know, this probably isn't the ancestor of Don Fan, but a cousin group that was close to Don Fan. Well, I have to say, you like you you just went on about how we don't have any fossil Pokemon. Maybe it's because they didn't have any paleontologists to dig them up and look at it. Yes, and that could be that this area isn't well studied. Or maybe there's something about this region that doesn't preserve fossil well, which we do find today, that there are certain environments like rainforests don't do fossils well, and there are some certain parts of the planet that we don't get fossils from well. Uh, most famously is like Antarctica because it's covered by ice, but also just other regions where, you know, deserts, you know, sometimes do, sometimes don't, depending on what kind of situation you have, uh, but rainforests once again if a rainforest has persisted in an area that turns up the dirt so you don't get fossils so maybe this area doesn't have good fossils oh. based on the rocks they show in the game it should but maybe it doesn't so on the note of fossils question for you how um how do insects fossil because our next one is slitherwing and uh yes yeah weird bug i like it mm -hmm. weird bug 
Oh, I think it. I like it that the wings have become like Godzilla spines. Uh, insects definitely fossilize differently because they don't have bones, and bones are typically what we're getting fossils of because they're the toughest part of the body. Insects have exoskeletons, which are tough, but not nearly as tough as bones. So typically, insect fossils are most famous from amber. You know, think Jurassic Park, tree resin that traps an insect, you know, the goo from trees, traps an insect and then fossilizes, becomes a mineral, you know, or mineralizes uh, in the ground and preserves the insect inside. But we do get rare insect fossils in like really fine sediment where really nice fossils get preserved. We can get them fossilized in situations like that. And those will also be situations where we sometimes find like soft tissue. So rarely we will get the whole insect uh, otherwise uh, outside of amber. So it is a fighting bug type now. Um, it's not the best typing. Uh, being four times weak to flying is bad. Being weak to fire is bad. <laughs> being weak to uh, psychic no. is not great. But um, on the positive sides, um, it's got a really nice move pool, close combat, first impression, flare blitz. Um, I, most of the ones I see are Terra Fire. I do think of the Paradoxes, it's one of the weaker ones. If you look at its uh, finishes, it kind of doesn't have any. I mean, uh, kind of cute. But I, I really like him. I think he's a cool dude. One of the things that stands out to me about you you saying him being one of the weaker ones is it's weird to me that it's, it's not flying anymore. Uh, like... And I I don't I haven't gotten to see the animations of uh, 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 Slitterwing to see if it does still flap around at all or is it purely kind of walking? Just stands there. Yeah. Oh, he just stands there. This is a a moth that has it lost the ability to fly evidently, which is super super weird uh, for a moth specifically to do. But just insects in general, that's not super common. There are you know insects who that have lost their wings. But it's not common. This would have to be some really like specific scenario that this this prehistoric uh, 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 version evolved in, like an island or something where it was isolated from predators, so it could it could uh, 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 survive just walking around. So uh, the fact that it's not great in combat might fit that because island species typically aren't as adaptive. It ha- well, so it has a very high attack stat. Um, I meant from like a competitive standpoint. It's um. It, it hits like a truck. Its typing just makes it very vulnerable to a lot of popular things. Which is very fitting for island groups. <laughs> yeah, so actually, yeah, so that actually does yeah. tie in very well. Yeah, yeah They no, don't do well with competition. No flying types, no problem. <laughs> so Yeah, there's no birds on the island curious. it evolved on for some weird reason, which is unlikely. Yeah, which is why it's four times weak to flying, actually. Yeah, that does yes. fit very well. On his island, he's like, I'm a god! And then he meets a pig. Exactly. Just a wing gull just floats in on the breach. Just, gull! And it's just like, what the heck are you? It tries, wa- it, it waves at the slither wing. The gust hits it and it dies. Right? Uh, can we make anything... So if you look at slither wing, it's kind of got that little, like, green tail on the end. Which, uh, Volcarona does not. It's got the very kind of thick... I'm going to say thorax. I might be wrong on my insect biology. Yeah, that would be the uh, abdomen. Uh, I mean, that could be that uh, uh, an adaptation potentially to, like, getting on the ground. Um, the abdomen is where most of an insect's guts actually are. 
Uh, so that's where their lungs typically are. Their digestive, their digestive tract is there. The thorax, which is what we would think of as our torso, where all the, you know, arms and legs, you know, the arms are and the, the legs are attached, uh, is mostly just for the limbs to be attached and for the th esophagus to travel back to the digestive tract. So uh, maybe it's a specialist, and so it eats a very specific diet that doesn't need such a notable digestive tract or something. Uh, or it's adjusted its its organs to the other parts of its body, maybe. The next one we kind of talk about, and this one I saw a little bit more in competitive play than uh, Slitherwing was a Brute Bonnet. Now, if you know anything about playing in Pokemon, Among Us is... Um... Honestly, a pretty terrifying threat to deal with if you're not prepared for it. it. It's bulky. It puts you to sleep. It rage pout. Like the whole, that mushroom's been around for a while. But Brute Bonnet just decided to ditch a lot of that like support and try and stick more into offense. I didn't know a mushroom could look evil. I, I, everyone just watched The Last of Us, man. Okay. Fair. Right, right. But like. I love what they compare it to in uh, Violet. It's like, it bears a slight resemblance to a Pokemon described in a dubious magazine as a cross between a dinosaur and a mushroom. Sure. It doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. That makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, if you watch The Last of Us, it makes some sense. It's a <laughs> but it also doesn't even look like that. Yeah. Like, it still just bothers looks me like that it has four. It bothers me that it has four legs. I don't like the legs. Right. I don't want to. I don't. I imagine Amugas. And a tail. Amugas hops at you. This thing like skitters. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it, it once again it it follows that trope of well, it's it's like how a bunch of cartoons are like everything in the past had saber teeth. Just slap saber tooth squirrel, saber tooth this. Uh, it's got a very similar feeling to that of just well, surely ancient mushrooms were d dinosaur mushrooms. Which, as you just doesn't make any sense. Uh, the thing that stands out to me is that they are suggesting that that Pokeball mimicry goes back ancestrally. That it was mimicking that white and red circular pattern before there were Pokeballs, which makes me think of uh, Legends with uh, 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 the. Uh, didn't they, it wasn't in that game where they suggested, or Arceus, that's what it was. Uh, where they suggest that Pokeballs were based off of that region that's Voltorbs? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So, if that's the case, then for some reason, either Voltorb or these mushrooms were mimicking each other. Mm. And so, was, I would say, was this yeah. mimicking the exploding Pokemon to try to scare off predators? Oh, that's, that's some deep think. Yeah, that's like. I, but but why would it need, you need to just? Why would it need to, when it just punch him in the face? Which is the thing that then means was Voltorb the original mimicker? We all assumed that it was the thing that's the most dangerous, but maybe it was trying to say, "No, you don't want to mess with me. I'm this mushroom, and I'll punch you." And then when things get too close, he goes, "Well, I guess I'll explode." <laughs> that's that's the Lucas approach. <laughs> I mean, I. I brought an explosion team to regional and it got four out of five. I mean, like, that's not nothing. It's not. Gr no, that's that's impressive. <laughs> I mean, I like I like that thinking of the Voltorb uh, Amoongus 
relationship will i think that 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 voltor mimicking it because it's such a menace yes. is a lot more fun it, it also I, which it's not pokemon's fault but this thing does learn bullet seed and since it's a mushroom that shouldn't really work but i, I mean no, no no it's fine it's fine but that would mean that this pokemon is the origination of the pokeball emblem evolutionarily speaking mm. and we just decided to leave off the spikes yes exactly because because the Pokemon that we based it off of survived past this one, you know, Voltorb lived past whatever the whenever Brute Bonnet went extinct. So we didn't know about this one until, you know, it came back through a time portal. Until it showed up sucker punching everyone <laughs> in Paldea. <laughs> so next up is one that's gotten a lot of play. Like I, when I was at the tournament, I ran into this thing on every team. And that is uh, Salamence's Paradox, Roaring Moon. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> this thing has some anger issues. Well, this very much feels like, to me, the, the examples of, like, particularly big flying birds and stuff, where, like, that this would be an example of just a, a massive flying, a massive version of Salamance. Do you think the uh, the feathers and the wings are for display and reproductive purposes or just to like put fear into the eyes of everyone who sees it? Uh, I mean, if it is used for the fear aspect, it would absolutely also be used for uh, competition between individuals and trying to attract mates and defend territories. Uh, so like basically any form of display usually also then functions back you might as a few examples but uh i would assume that it it definitely has a display aspect uh it also might be maybe that it was f flying different you know like big wings is good for soaring maybe they migrated more than today's salamances i i mean i'm trying to figure out like if it is a display well then if you look at today's salamance it looks let's be honest a little less decorative like i'm wondering how mm -hmm. like this sort of thing is selected over breeding and generation. So what bred, what went, why'd you go from fab to drab? Like what would cause that? It's interesting that, too, because Mega Salamence is very close to Roaring Moon in design. Yes, it is. Uh, which I also thought of when I saw this one is it's got that same moon crest, you know, crescent moon set of wings. Uh, the thing that would come to my mind for losing that display is that now you're less social. Uh, and if salamances today are more uh, solitary, they tend to live alone, widespread with big territories, which I don't know how, you know, you tend to find salamances in the games or how they decide to render them. But that's the behavior we would expect from a loss of display is that you're not living, you're not interacting as often anymore. Uh, so it's, you don't have the strong need and the strong adaptation pressure to have all that display because you're only interacting with each other on very rare occasions could it also be so when i look at these two side by side like lucas has laid out salamance is way thicker mm -hmm. than roaring moon roaring moon has like a tiny torso could it be also that there was maybe a shift in what is deemed desirable be for reasons like maybe it was the plumage of the wings before but then some big threat came about and then like all of a sudden being big and bulky and strong became the more attractive feature absolutely i mean like crocodiles are super social and they don't have a lot of display features but 
their display is how big and loud they are. So that absolutely tracks. So we just like got it. We just lost interest in like skinny, flashy guys and moved over just back to the 80s bulk, like the Rocky Balboa looking dude's better looking than the Harry Style looking dude. I get it. Just reversal. Well, it's yeah, it's the I think evolutionary equivalent of dad bod coming into trend. <laughs> yes. I think that begs the question, though, what what Pokemon do we not have that made that shift that made it shift that way? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What made Salamance oh, thicken just, up? Well, and it could be maybe that like. Yeah. We've all just like shooting ice shards at them just out of the sky. <laughs> it could be that maybe that Roaring Moon lived uh, in like a Birds of Paradise situation where it could afford, it lived in an ideal environment where there's plenty of food so it could afford to double down on display and and showiness. And then the Salamances we have today are the more hardy generalists that can survive in tougher environments so they don't have those showy features. Right. Uh, the last one we got, like, what, a month ago now? Uh, yeah, actually, literally a month ago. Oh, my gosh. All right. So, um, uh, first off, uh, Will, quick question for you and settle a debate here between some colleagues. Uh, Suicune, dog or cat? Um, I mean, eh, the face says cat for sure. Uh, and I, I'd have to see how its wrists turn, uh, to settle that. Uh, I mean, it, it's definitely got more the body of a cat, uh, than a dog. All right, Chris, you win this round. But, like... You hear that, Lucas? Yes. The on my side. Like, it, yes. It definitely Lucas leans that way a bit more. I don't like it. Uh... Like it, there are dogs that can be shaped that way. The face is really what what messes up because dogs are just so like canines are just so long snout. That's that's there are some stubby snouted that we didn't breed. You know, like naturally stubby snouted ones, but not that stubby. Okay, so next question. Um, why is it a raptor <laughs> with two tails, just like whipping out? Like it just it's. It's so random. When that trailer dropped, everyone's jaw hit the floor. No one cared about the future Vision. No one cares. Just look. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but why is it no like specifically bad though? Like just the, weak to bug. The stats it. are not great. Uh, the typing is not good. You're four times weak to bug. You have like nine other weaknesses. <laughs> um, its signature move is trash compared to Hydro Steam. Hydro Steam is awesome. So if you don't know Hydro Steam, so whether it's raining when it's raining, um, every water move gets a boost. But the problem is with all of the past Paradox Pokemon, when the sun comes out, their ability is that they get a boost in one of their stats. So in order to compensate for that, the sun also reduces the damage of water moves by fifty percent. Not for this move though. This one specific move Correct. gets strong in the sun and in the rain, so it doesn't matter. Neat. Yeah, it's just it's a gonna once it's allowed to be in competitive play, it's gonna be a monster. It it's just bundle will, bundle will murder it. It is a raptor of some kind, right? It yeah, no, it's definitely inspired by theropod dinosaurs, which include your Velociraptors, your Deinonychus, your T Rex, your Allosaurus, the two legged predatory dinosaur. Like that's definitely what they're going for. Uh, and as weird as it seems to go from. Uh, the familiar four-legged to a bipedal two-legged 
uh, animal. Not as ridiculous as you might think. Earliest dinosaurs were often two-legged or sometimes, you know, they could switch back and forth most likely between four-legged and two-legged, you know, walk around for a little bit on two legs, but mostly spent their time on four. All the earliest dinosaurs we find basically fit that body plan, including the ones that eventually become sauropods, the long-necked dinosaurs, and like ceratopsians, the horned dinosaurs, which are all completely four-legged. So switching from two-legged to four-legged is not completely crazy. I'm just more impressed that it goes from like raptor cat captor captor to just cat dog. It, it's mm-hmm. it's weird to think that it went reptilian to mammalian like that that quickly. Like just it's just well, weird. yeah, and that's the thing that I think that's the thing that makes it stand the most out is that mammals have never really done this. Like, there's not many mammals that walk around on two legs in general, you know, minus uh, primates. And even most of them still knuckle walk. And then the only other one is like the kangaroo. So like that's a very unusual body shape for a mammal. But not unreasonable. Okay. Uh, it would need a beefier tail than mammals tend to have. And it has two of them. Uh, theropods had. Yes. And so that that is fitting. Uh, which also supports that those ribbons are indeed tails on Suicune. It kind of remind me of um, Sylveon's like ribbon flesh ears, like everyone's flesh ribbons. Yeah, they just. Is there any purpose for why they would have become front facing? Uh, I I would assume that they, once again, it would be some sort of like display feature. Uh, maybe okay. they could be something else. Like, th- this is I'm I'm just shooting into the speculative evolution dark uh if it is kind of a cat uh, a convergent evolution you know if it, if it's evolving to be like a cat i've never seen a close-up of sylveon uh, of suicune uh that confirms it has whiskers maybe its tails are acting in place of its whiskers to give it up close touch uh detail sensation that's because i you're at, you're right. I don't think Suicune has whiskers. No, yeah. uh, which is a is a, a feature of both cats and dogs. So Suicune might be something else entirely. Uh, that whiskers is just a common feature of those groups. Oh, we could be both wrong, yeah. which means you're wrong, which means I could be happy. <laughs> so, all right. Last thing I want to ask you before we do our goodbyes, I want to know, and I we I asked a few people this this weekend if, if you could get. A paradox form, like a past weird form of any Pokemon, what would it be? Mmm. That is a good question. One of the thoughts I have would be it would be cool to get one of the like dragonish Pokemon, like Charizard or Dragonite or something, and like show them developing their wings, like have the paradox the uh, past Pokemon be not fully flighted, but have the beginnings of the that extra pair of limbs or something. That's cool. For me, that could be for me. Neat. I just want to see um, like they always talk about in the Pokedex how Magikarp with this big legendary monster. All right, Bet. show yes. us, show me what it looked like. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's pretty on brand. Oh, that'd be fantastic. I mean, anyone else have a Paradox Mon they want to see? I was gonna say I, the any ones that 
the the fan base jokes about that should be dragons like gyarados show us the dragon forms yes yeah like the the charizards the gyaradoses like all the ones that should have the dragon typing because of how they are designed or what their influences are let's Yo, see double those down monsters. and turn and make a past paradox flygon that's bug dragon but like give it like six limbs give it mandibles make that thing horrifying mm -hmm. Or, oh no, I, sorry, this is probably for a different episode, Lucas, but give me the future version of Hydragon that is the tank version yes. they originally had. Ooh, Will, do you know cool. that story? <laughs> the... <laughs> no, that's not, I, I can definitely see it, but that's cool. Yeah. If you look at Hydragon, it's got, uh, basically the lines on its chest are left over from the original design and they're supposed to be treads. Artillery was almost a tank as well. Yeah, they've tried to make a tank Pokemon. It, a couple they almost times. made a gun Neat. out of Remora. Was going to be the gun Pokemon. Uh -huh. Anyway, yeah, remember eight. That was it. It's great. Uh, I I thought of my my paradox Pokemon. I want for alligators past version that actually looks like an alligator. Oh, you like with an overbite and everything? Yeah, like with an actual long snout instead of a stubby jaw. Like I love for alligator. For alligator's great, but it doesn't look at all like an alligator really in any way. Uh, so I would love the past version that is actually gator shaped. John, <laughs> what about you? What would you like to see? I'm going to go in a weird direction because I just want to see how it's implemented. Um, I would like to see the future version of an already futuristic Pokemon. Porygon. Um, so maybe like I was, well, Porygon. Yeah, actually not. Let's say that might even be better. But for some reason, my mind went to like the two Pokemon. Everyone forgets exist like LGM and BEM. Cause they're already like weird <laughs> little alien dudes. And they're yes. already kind of futuristic, so it'd be very interesting to see like where they go. Do they just transcend to like sentient like things of gas? Oh, they're the ones making all the robot Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, what if they are? What if that's the big reveal? <laughs> Don't think about us, will you? Fine, we'll get rid of you. Then there won't be anyone to think about us. That'll show them. They're like, good. Our invasion is going as planned. They've yet to pay attention to us. Keep it coming. Should we name them something else? I mean, they're not technically made of iron. Shut up and make the robots, robot maker. Oh, no, that's the, the explanation is that it's a mistranslation. They think iron means something completely different. Well, I did um, I did see a thing where it was like the future Pokemon were like code names and the past Pokemon were, were like caveman descriptors. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I, we, we are going over an hour on this one, so we, we kind of should start wrapping up. Before we uh, wrap up, Will, always a pleasure to talk with you, my friend, but can you give our listeners a place where they can listen to you talk more? Yes. Our podcast, The Common Sense Podcast, is found on basically all streaming services. We host it through Podbean, but it's on iTunes and Spotify. We also upload it to YouTube, so the audio is there if anyone would prefer that. We have uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, so you can find us there. We have a Discord that you can join us where we do extra chats and uh, have extra dialogue about uh, among the fans. And we also have a Patreon where you can get extra goodies and live chats with us every month. I'll make sure to put all of that down in the description. So I do want to like, and thank you for taking the time to sit with us and talk about some of these past Pokemon. It's always great to learn more about them. And now we have new horrifying theories to discuss. <laughs> Especially Brute Bonnet. Oh, yes. No, this was tons. Yes. Brute Bonnet is now one of my favorite uh, 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 personal Pokemon theories. That is uh, that is fantastic. 
I think we stumbled yeah. on something great with that one. <laughs> so thank you so much, listeners, for being a part of this. Again, share with your friends, share with your buddies. Again, new podcasts, they take a lot to take off, but with your guys' help, we'll keep going and keep teaching more people. So we won't keep you any longer. Have a wonderful rest of your day or night. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye, everybody. Bye.